When first-time visitors join us for worship here and I get to greet them at the door on their way out, one of the things I most often hear about is the Lord's Prayer. Can you remember the first time you were around to pray that prayer in worship in our community? We're all invited to pray the prayer Jesus taught us in the many languages in which we learned it. It starts as sort of a little mumble somewhere in the room, but it quickly takes off. And pretty soon, this room sounds like the concourse of an international airport, with an astounding variety of sounds and tones swirling all around. I have never taken a tally afterward. It might be interesting to do that someday. But I would guess that that common prayer is being spoken in 30 or 40 different languages in the room on any given Sunday here. Some of the versions finish up pretty quickly. Others take a bit longer, so the sound doesn't exactly stop all at once. It sort of peters out little by little until there's a last lingering amen somewhere in the room, and we can all move on. Visitors often comment on that, on what a moving experience it is to be enfolded in that central prayer of the church spoken in so many different languages all at once. It's one of the first things that new folks notice. And it's one of the first things that long-term members talk about missing when they go elsewhere and find themselves in a congregation where that prayer is spoken in a single language with everybody intoning the syllables in lockstep unison. Something feels right about that jumble of sound, that international concourse right there in the middle of worship. I'm missing that sound these days. Maybe you are as well. But here is something that's helped me. Listening to the prayer podcast our congregation has been putting together for the past couple of months, a different member leads each episode, and it always concludes with the Lord's Prayer, spoken in that person's language. It's like zooming in on that moment in our worship service, like leaning in close and listening to the way someone else learned that common prayer. I have loved listening to Gabriel's Pray in Latvian, or to Koko in Japanese, or to Ojot in Anuak, or to Maritza in Spanish. Sometimes I can recognize a handful of words. Other times all I can really catch is amen. They're all translations, of course. Some way of expressing this prayer that Jesus would have prayed 2,000 years ago in Aramaic. So no one version is more right than another. Instead, each is a different angle on this prayer Christians have been speaking for 2,000 years and a reminder of the vast and diverse tradition that we are a part of. We can lose sight of that vastness when the only language we hear in worship is our own. Without even realizing it, we can sort of start thinking that God's native language is English or that the way we learned to pray and speak is the only right one. And those ideas subconscious or not, are not just limiting. They're also just plain wrong. The way the book of Acts tells it, the arrival of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost also sounded quite a bit like an international airport or like Jerusalem at festival time. Pentecost was and is a Jewish festival known as Shavuot or the festival of weeks, 50 days after Passover. In Jesus' time, it was an occasion for a pilgrimage to the temple, so the city is full of visitors on this day when our reading takes place. 
The disciples have been gathered together in the city since the events of Holy Week, no doubt trying to make sense of everything that's just happened, from Jesus' death to his resurrection appearances to them, to his departure into the clouds with the promise that the Holy Spirit would find them. So Jesus told them to do this, to hang out in Jerusalem and wait through their confusion. That's what they've been doing, these 11 disciples, devoting themselves to prayer, along with a number of women who are clearly followers of Jesus as well. And then on the day of Pentecost, it happens. The house where they are staying suddenly erupts in a way that no one can ignore. All the images in the language here point to the wildness of what took place. There was the sound like the rush of a violent wind, divided tongues as a fire appeared among them. And from the street outside, people heard what sounded like one heck of a party. That is where most of this story takes place, you realize. Not inside the house, but out on the street. All these pilgrims in town stop and listen. I imagine at first they stop because this is just such a loud racket and they're wondering what in the world is going on. But then they listen a little bit closer. And as they lean in, they begin to hear words in that jumble that they would not expect to be hearing in Jerusalem. The Arabs hear someone speaking Arabic. The Parthians hear Parthian. The Elamites hear Elamite. And yes, I did look those up and those are the names of those languages. They hear words of God's deeds spoken in their own mother tongues. The coming of the Holy Spirit sounded like that, like a jumble of languages, a plethora of sounds, scores of different angles on the faithfulness of God, no one angle more right than another. How different would this story be if what the crowds on the street had heard was simply a megaphone broadcasting a single language. All the followers of Jesus chanting about God's deeds in Greek or in Latin. The message then would be there's a single way to do this, a right way to speak and to pray. The message would be that to be part of this movement, you need to give up who you are, your language, your way of proclaiming God's deeds of power. And that would be something else entirely. I love it that there is that Pentecost moment in the middle of our worship service where the primary language of our liturgy breaks open into a multitude of sounds and tongues. But I've been reminded this past week that the Holy Spirit's coming in this way at Pentecost isn't actually there so that we might make really cool and moving worship services. The point is that this vision of the Spirit of God at work in all people, in all their diversity and particularity, that this vision might shape the way that we live. The point is that we learn to hear the vastness and the jumble as holy, that we strive for a world where no angle on God's goodness is held up as more important or valid than another. And we are so far from that world today. I imagine that you have all seen the news from Minneapolis this past week. The news that on this past Monday, George Floyd, a black man, died shortly after a white police officer kneeled into his neck for eight minutes. 
The knee was held in place while he said again and again, I can't breathe. And it was still there for minutes after he went unconscious. There are echoes of so much in this horrific scene of other incidents in which black men have died at the hands of white law enforcement officers in the US, of the deep racial divides etched into American society for generations, of the very different ways two groups of people can experience life in the same city. I grew up about a half hour from where George Floyd was killed, but the Minneapolis I know is very different from the one that he knew. Because of the color of my skin, I was born into a society that gave me room to breathe and to grow, where opportunities were there for me at every turn, where I felt I belonged, where police were to be trusted, not feared. I can't pretend to understand the experiences of others, but the anger being expressed in demonstrations and riots right now points to how different life in my city is for people of color, how the injustices and indignities they experience can add up, starting from childhood. It is like layer and layer and layer of gunpowder building over a long time, said one African-American resident of the city this past week. And when you become an adult, it's like a stick of dynamite. Now, I know our congregation is not all from the United States much less all from Minneapolis. The events of this past week don't necessarily hit close to home for you the way they do for me. But I believe what's going on there has everything to do with the story of Pentecost. Because a church shaped by this spirit, a spirit that comes not speaking one language, but every language on earth, cannot tolerate the privileging of any one group over another. A church shaped by the Spirit sees and cherishes the presence of God in all people equally. A church shaped by the Spirit will not stand by while the lives of one group of people are treated as more sacred or valid or worthy than another. A church shaped by the Spirit will work in every way that it can for a world where all people are treated with equal dignity and respect. I don't know where this story touches down in your life right now. We come from so many different contexts and backgrounds and communities and experiences. But if we hear the story of Pentecost this year and do not hear the call to seek a just world where the whole vast, messy, and beautiful human family is honored and cherished, then I think we have missed the spirit. I know that for me this year, that call means learning more showing up, thinking carefully about where I give financially and how I vote. It means listening well, even and especially when it challenges me and makes me uncomfortable. What does that call mean for you right now? Friends, what a gift it is to be part of this community where we glimpse something of the vastness of God's world and where we will again hear that international concourse bursting into the middle of our worship service. Remember that beautiful sound of the Spirit this Pentecost Sunday, and let it remind you of the work there is to be done, struggling toward the world 
that it points us to. Amen.